so-called holy books. But as you also see in your bulletin, you know, there's uh, probably about 300 different books that are considered to be holy. So what I want to answer today is why is the Bible unique? Is it, in fact, unique? Uh, I'm sure you've all talked with some skeptics, and I talk with skeptics a lot. And they said the Bible is nothing more than a fairy tale. Uh, when it speaks on science, it can't possibly be right. I mean, science just disagrees with the Bible. He said, how could Moses have written those five first books of the Bible? Uh, people couldn't even write in his day. Uh, the five cities in the plains that is referred to in Genesis chapter 14, verse 2. It said, uh, you know, Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, uh, Zeboam, and Zor. They didn't exist. We have no evidence of that. And so on. These are skeptical questions being asked. Do we have answers to that? What sets the Bible apart? So this morning we're going to look at that. And let me just open up in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we could uh, worship you through song and music here. And we thank you that we can study your word. We thank you for the uh, evidence that you have left for us to look at to uh, pro- provide evidence that you really do exist. And people overlook that, but the evidence is clear. And uh, we just ask you to help us just to understand that better today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So then the question is, is the Bible just another one of those 300 religious books? Or is it really uh, the Word of God? As we go through this lesson, uh, you may have a bulletin insert. Uh, and uh, that has some uh, fill-ins. If you want to follow it in that way, you can just fill in the blanks as we, as we go. So what evidence do we have? Well, first of all, in 2 Timothy 2... Uh, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, we read that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And so clearly here, Paul tells us that the Bible is for our study and has been provided for that. It is correct in all that it writes. Uh, and Peter explains the process in Second Peter 1, verse 21. says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke uh, from God. Uh, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God has revealed his mind and his creation to us through his word. And uh, as you know, uh, God's word is our special revelation. And uh, the question that I grew up with as an inquisitive little boy was, uh, well, if that's God's word, then God's creation must also um, match that. What evidence do we see in his creation that his word is true? So as a scientist, I always ask that question, you know, what evidence do we have for the truth in the Bible? And as you'll see, uh, I think we have lots of evidence. For the the Bible claims to be God-breathed, as we saw in uh, Paul's writing there. The Spirit has brought his testimony into our hearts. And we'll see that the Bible is clearly, it's inspired. It says so many times within the Bible. It is inspired. It is inerrant in its original form. 
and it is authoritative in all matters that it addresses. And that's how we take the Bible. So we're going to look at the Bible and see uh, what evidence do we have for that. And what about all these other so-called holy books? What do we do with them? So you'll see that our faith uh, after this uh, message is based on fact. It's not as the skeptics say, well, that's just blind faith you have. You just think God exists and you live as, as if he exists. But, you know, we have no proof. We can't prove it by science. Uh, and, yeah, that's true. You can't prove it by science. But we have enough evidence that our faith is real, is based on fact, and uh, we do have evidence for its truth. So we're going to look at um, a number of reasons why we believe that to be true. And uh, I've got about, in my notes, I've got uh, 12 or more reasons, but uh, this morning we'll just look at some of the, uh, the seven reasons uh, for that. Uh, first of all, direct claims of the Bible. What does the Bible say about itself? What about the unity of the Bible? Does it tell one story? Reliable transmission of the Bible. People question, you know, was it really uh, copied accurately over time? Uh, unique teachings of the Bible. Historical accuracy, is it accurate historically? And then uh, an important one to me, of course, is the scientific accuracy of the Bible. When it speaks on science, is it accurate? And then finally, we're going to look at fulfilled prophecy of the Bible. Uh, there's many prophecies in the Bible, and particularly we look at the Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. Uh, but there are many more uh, prophecies as well, as you'll see. And so the question is, are those prophecies true? Skeptics would say, well, and I'm going to dig into this a little deeper. The book of Isaiah, you know, which has a lot of the Messianic prophecies, say, well, that was written after the time of Christ, and they just filled in the blanks, and here we are. Well, how do we refute that? Okay, so let's first of all look at the claims of the Bible. <clears throat> And I've got some of the verses which we're going to use to show that here on this slide and on all the slides that follow. We're not going to take time to read all of them, but for those that are interested, you can always, of course, go back to this. So, first of all, let's look at the direct claims of the Bible. It claims to be authoritative. It claims that it is the word of God. Uh, the authors themselves were not inspired. The scriptures were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Peter explained the process as we just read in First Peter, Second uh, Peter, one verse twenty-one. In the Old Testament, uh, the Bible asserts that God spoke what was written within its pages over two thousand times. Two thousand times. For example, going back to Genesis one three, even God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. Uh, at the end of the Old Testament, Malachi 4, 3, And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. That's, thus says the Lord of hosts, the word of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord. Phrases like this are said 2,000 times. There is no other book which even claims to be the word of God the way the Bible does. The Bible says it 200 distinct times. So... We take it as the word of God. In the New Testament, there's equal emphasis. If we look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.15, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left 
unto the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Again, a word from the Lord. It's a transmission from our Lord. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, I received from the Lord. Uh, the phrase, word of God received from the Lord, that is used 40 times in the New Testament. So again, both Old Testament and New Testament claim to be the word of God, and we take it as such. There is ultimate spiritual authority in the doctrine, reproof, and correction and instruction, as we read in 2 Timothy 3. It claims to be inerrant in verses like Psalm 12, uh, 6, in Proverbs 30, verse 5. It then claims to be infallible. The scriptures speak with one voice, the voice of God. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And this uh, is a quote from uh, Augustine and uh, uh, Calvin. No other book refers to itself as the word of God. And we fail to recognize this sometimes. Even in the Book of Mormon, you say, well, that must say that too. No, it doesn't say that. So that's one. The, the Bible takes, makes claims for itself in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we take that as our biblical truth. Well, what about the unity of the Bible? Uh, in Hebrews 1, uh, verses 1-2, says, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, referring to the time when the Hebrews were written, he has spoken to us by his son. And, of course, that refers to Jesus Christ, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And Christ is identified as the creator of this world that we live in many times in the Bible. And this is just one of them. But what we have to be amazed at is the fact that all the 66 books of the Bible tell one common story. And you would say, how can that be? If I listened to an accident report out in the street here and had three witnesses, they would all tell me something different. You know, would they all agree with each other? In some cases, they're describing different aspects of that accident, but there would be some places where they wouldn't agree. And then you repeat that to your friend or your family, and they repeat it to somebody else, and you can imagine that gets twisted, you know, even within a week. Um, here, these books of the Bible were written over a period of 150 years by 40 different authors, written on three different uh, continents, 13 different countries, written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And a diversity of authors. They weren't just, you know, philosophers or, or uh, writers or kings. They were uh, kings, priests, physicians, shepherds, fishermen, former Pharisee, even statesmen, tax collector. Um, but all different kinds of writers. And yet they're all telling the same story. Diversity of, of literary uh, genre. The, uh, you know, we can distinguish which books are written as a narrative, as true history, from poetry, uh, from song, um, prophecy, etc. Parables. Jesus told a lot of parables. So there's different ways of communicating with us, but they still all refer to the same story. Uh, so there's one cohesive story in the Bible. Uh, it speaks of one plan of salvation, one people of God, one story of human history, one problem of mankind, one solution for this problem, one standard of morality, one design for the family, 
and one chief object of its message. Christ is obvious in all books of the Bible, old and new. The Bible speaks with one voice, never contradicts itself. How can we account for such unity? Uh, because this is in the midst of all that diversity that I mentioned. So many diverse environments, diverse authors, uh, diverse topics, diverse genre, and yet it all tells the same story. One unified uh, story or a message in the midst of diversity. And so that, then we move on to the next one, uh, which is reliable transmission of the Bible. You know, we don't have the original books of the Bible anymore. Uh, before, in the early 1900s, we had books which were at least, uh, most on at least a thousand years. The earliest ones we had were at least a thousand years after the time they were written. The book of Isaiah, for example, we had a copy about the uh, 1100 AD when it was last copied. That's the earliest one we had. And, and so the skeptics would say, uh, we don't think those books were transmitted accurately. We think there's errors in there. How could we prove it? <clears throat> you know, we take those as as, uh, as uh, the truth. And yet, so how do we tell what the, the reliability of the books is? Well, we can compare different copies of the books of the Bible with each other if we have multiple manuscripts. So the more manuscripts we have of each book, the more confidence we can have if they're all telling the same story. And so the question is, do they tell the same story? And yes, uh, before the um, uh, 1950 time frame, uh, you know, we didn't have good information that confirm, could confirm that, but we do today. And, and so the first thing is, how many copies do we have? The second thing is, what is the gap between the when it was written and the earliest copy of the book that we have? You know, if it's a thousand years or more, one may question, well, there, some errors must have crept in. And that's what skeptics uh, kept on saying. Well, then along came the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were found in 1947 in uh, the land of Israel, um, Qumran Caves. And uh, I'm sure most of you have heard of them. So, but what's the significance of the find there? Well, the earliest books that they found, the earliest copies, they found a copy of every Old Testament book, except for the book of Esther, at least so far. And so now they had books which were dated, they were copied about 100 B.C., uh, some even earlier, 200 B.C. And in the New Testament, we have a fragment of the book of John, uh, which is dated to 125 A.D., and uh, you know, as far as we know, we've been able to determine that the book of John was written about 90 A.D. And so we have 35 years between when it was written and the earliest copy we have of that segment of the book of John. And uh, so that's very significant. Uh, because now, skeptics who said Isaiah was written after the time of Christ, and that's why they got all these prophecies about the Messiah fulfilled. Look, they just looked at history and wrote it down in the book of Isaiah. Nope. They have a book, copy of the book of Isaiah now, which is dated 100 B.C., plus or minus, obviously before Christ. And so they could compare that with what they had before. 
you know, which was 1100 A.D. That's 1200 years difference. Big difference. And so in Isaiah in specifically, when they compared that copy, and I think they had two copies of that found in the Qumran caves, they compared it with the earliest copy they had before and other copies of the book of Isaiah, they found out there's probably about 1% that is different over those 1200 years. Largely, those differences are due to the change in the Hebrew language over that period of time. You know, you know that we change meanings of words and spelling of words over time uh, a lot more than the Hebrew language has changed. And uh, so in this case, most of them can be explained by changes in the Hebrew language itself. There were some scribal errors equivalent to like, oh, they forgot to put the dot on that I, or they forgot to cross that T, or they forgot this, or they, they missed this letter. Yep, there are a few of those, but nothing that would change any of our doctrines, nothing. And that's true of the other books as well. So the copies of the Old Testament books that we have are very, very well uh, evidenced and very, um, we're very comfortable with that. So again, prove the manuscript wrong. Um, so the other issue is, um, you know, the number um, of manuscripts, and I'll show you that in the next slide. But just to iterate at this point, scholars think that we have probably 99.9% of the originals correct. Everything is correct, and we can get that not just from the the uh, um, you know, manuscripts found, but also from the writings of the early church fathers who quote the Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, and so we're pretty confident of the uh, accuracy of the scripture as it was transmitted. So the two important questions then are, how many manuscript copies do we have, and how close are the copies to the original? So in the New Testament case, we have 5,600 Greek manuscripts, 10,000 uh, of the Latin Vulgate, and uh, other translations as well. So that gives us uh, a picture of at least 25,000 copies of um, you know, books of the New Testament, 25,000. Now, compare that with copies found of other ancient books, you know, secular books like uh, Caesar, Plato, Aristotle, and uh, Homer. You know, we have very few compared to that, and yet we believe that all those people really lived and that they really uh, wrote those books, why are skeptics so um, skeptical of the books of the Bible? Because we have many, many more copies. If we can compare many more copies with each other and be confident that uh, we did get the word transmitted accurately. And you'll see, in the case of the New Testament, you know, I mentioned the book of John, where the segment, uh, the earliest segment we have is probably 30 to 35 after the original. And, uh, you know, you can compare the segments with each other, and they, and they match. And I, I, there's some other segments they found as well since then uh, which match. So, again, it gives us a lot of confidence that the books of the Bible were transmitted um, accurately. So um, that gives us a lot of confidence in the accuracy of the books that we take as God's word. Um, some of you may not know where the Dead Sea is. Well, it's at that blue uh, 
thing in the middle of that slide on the left, and uh, the Qumran caves are against the northwest side um, of that lake, the Dead Sea uh, Scrolls. That's where they were found, the Qumran caves. And that's just below Jericho and uh, above Jerusalem. And uh, it's a salt lake, just like Salt Lake City. And uh, that's somebody obviously floating in that uh, shows of that salt lake. Okay, so then what about the unique uh, teachings of the Bible? Why is it so unique in that regard? Well, first of all, what you may not realize is the fact there's not just messianic prophecies. There's also other prophecies about nations, peoples, kings, uh, events, etc. And uh, there are about a thousand prophecies identified in the Old Testament, New Testament. More than half of them have already been fulfilled. More than half. It's not just the messianic. You know, the uh, uh, the, the messianic address, uh, I think it's about 300 prophecies of the messianic coming. And they're broken up into first coming and second coming. The uh, f- first coming, about 109 have already been verified. Um, history that we have in the Bible is confirmed by archaeology. I mean, archaeology is a very important science, which was really came to to light in the 1800s. Uh, before that, uh, archaeology didn't really probe the artifacts that were uh, buried in the earth, but now we have a lot more information about artifacts that are buried uh, in the earth. And uh, they verify the truth of the, of the Bible, uh, as we'll see. So the Bible addresses... Uh, not just spiritual matters, but also scientific matters. And uh, we can show from archaeology that the Bible does not have any errors uh, in that as far as the current archaeological finds, uh, history, geography, archaeology, and prophecy all confirm the truth of the Bible. Uh, In fact, when we get to some science statements in the Bible, we'll see, we ask the question, how do these authors know that this science is accurate. That was before the time of the electron microscope, before the telescope, before we could measure some of these things, and yet they wrote these things which anticipated these scientific truths in the Bible. The other thing that um, is recorded in the Bible is the record of its leaders and the record of its people. I mean, this is not sugarcoating. Let's make King David look like the best spiritual king ever that Israel had. Uh, let's, let, let's make Abram look like a saint or who have you. you know, there's none of that in the Bible. They cover the sins of the leaders and of the people. And I've given you just some uh, examples here. For example of um, uh, Abram, Genesis 12, 11-13. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister. Well, that wasn't quite true. And uh, so he's a a lie. And uh, and yet the Bible covers that. The Bible covers the sins of King David, his adultery. Um, The Bible covers the faults of the apostles and certainly covers the... uh, uh, foot and mouth disease Apostle Peter uh, in the New Testament all those things are pointed out when he, he said he wouldn't uh, uh, leave his Savior um, 
And there's even disorder in the church. As we read in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 11, Paul writes, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Now, why would he write about a problem in the church? How does that benefit the church? How does that make the church look good? Well, sins are covered of the people, of the leaders, and uh, even the apostles. So the people of the Bible are real. And then next we come to the historical accuracy. And probably the best example of that is the Dr. Luke, who wrote the Gospel according to, Dr., according to Luke, and also the Book of Acts, both written by him. And how does he get this right? Well, he said he used reports by eyewitnesses and prophets. He wasn't there for himself, but he had access to the eyewitnesses, and uh, some of the prophets, and he wrote the story uh, like he, um, he heard it from these eyewitnesses. And that's uh, referred to in the first few verses of both the book of Acts and in the uh, gospel according to Luke. Skeptics said, well, look, at there are 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine islands that are mentioned throughout those two books. And it said, well, they're not all, they weren't all real. Well, on further historical uh, evidence, looking at the geography and all that, yep, they are real. But what's more incredible is the fact that he named some leaders, uh, political leaders of the day, and gave them titles which nobody had ever seen before. It said, that can't be true. Nobody had that title in those days. Well, Archaeology has shown that uh, they've dug up artifacts which have people named with those titles. And so all of his titles have been shown to be correct. So again, the skeptics have been uh, debunked. They've been answered. Uh, That really was true. Uh, Luke got it accurately. There's no errors found in his book historically at all. Then... I often refer to the Dead Sea Scrolls as the most important archaeological find of the 20th century. But there's a second one which comes close to that, and that is uh, the tablets found in Ebla in in northern Syria in 1974. Notice that they're tablets. Okay, so tablets were used before manuscripts were used. And so these have been dated to... Um, about a thousand years before the time of Moses. Very significant. Um, so found in, in, in northern Syria, a thousand years before Moses. It mentions about 5,000 different cities, places, nations, including the five cities of the plains uh, that I mentioned before, Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zoboam, and Zor. All five of them are mentioned in the Ebla tablets. So clearly they existed as well. They're buried now, of course, but they, were, they existed. In Genesis 14.2, we read, These kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Admah, Shemember, king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, and that is Zor. Okay, all five were mentioned in the Ebla tablets. Another very significant finding. Skeptics proven wrong again. Skeptics said that Moses couldn't write in his day. Well, remember he was educated in the courts of the Pharaoh. And uh, and obviously he could write. I mean, it was a thousand years after writing was discovered. 
So clearly he learned how to write as well. And so he could have written the first five books uh, of Moses. Archaeology has proven to be such an important science that verifies the truth of the Bible. And uh, they have never found something that uh, doesn't agree. Now, we, we haven't found the bones of Adam, and I don't expect we ever will find the bones of Adam. There are certain things which we'll never find. The further back in time we go, you know, the less we're going to find, obviously, because it's buried or it's, it's disappeared after the flood, and uh, we don't expect to find it. But what I find significant about this, even though some um, unbelieving archaeologists uh, you know, do these digs, they reference the Bible. They use the Bible as a guide as to where they should dig. Why do they do that? Well, they know that it's, that's where they say it is. That's where the Bible says you're going to find these kinds of artifacts. You, know, you see them in, in all kinds of Middle Eastern countries, not just Israel and Jordan and the neighboring countries, but Greece, Turkey, etc. You know, lots of artifacts found, and they all verify the truth of the Bible. So next we come to the issue of scientific accuracy. You know, how can the Bible be true? Uh, well, let's see. That's just a picture of Ebla where they found the tablets. You can see the tablets on the bottom right there. Science. How can, how can the Bible be true in science? The Bible is not a book of science, we agree. But when, we, when it speaks in any matter, we expect it to be truthful. And I, I want to just pick a few examples here. First of all, um, there was a scientist in Britain, 1903, Herbert Spencer, actually um, a colleague, well, not a, yeah, a colleague of Darwin's uh, day. And he came up with the fact that everything that we see in the universe can be explained by five different concepts. And that is matter, space, time, force, and action. Well, if we read the very first of the verse of the Bible, you know, God doesn't try to prove that he exists. You know, he assumes that he exists. We assume he exists. And he comes out with this statement. In the beginning, that's time. God, that's force. Created, that's action. The heavens, that's space and matter. The, the heavens and the earth. Earth being matter. Five of them got them exactly right. In his day, when uh, Moses would have put this together, you know, the Greeks thought that everything could be explained in terms of uh, land, water, and air, and fire. Well, that didn't work very well. So Moses got it right. And Moses was educated in the days of Pharaoh, in the courts of Pharaoh. And so he learned, would have learned all the current Egyptian myths of the, of the day, and yet, none of those myths are found in the Bible. None of them. They didn't find their way in the Bible. How did he know that? Well, clearly, inspired writing. They got it all right. If you look at the first chapter, you'll see that, uh, uh, again, it describes what happened on each one of the six days. And then in chapter 2, verse 3, God saw what he'd made and rested on the seventh day, and everything was very good. And I mentioned this morning when we talk about life, you know, life comes in kinds. It doesn't come in, well, yes, we have different species, but that's man's categories. It comes in kinds. And in the first chapter of Genesis, God used the word kinds ten times. Everything was produced by kinds. Everything reproduced after its kind. And so there's different kinds of 
cats in the cat family, different kind of dogs in the dog family, uh, etc. But they're all different kinds. And uh, do we have evidence for that? Yes. If we look at the fossil record, that is supported. We don't have time to go into that here, but I can assure you that we've looked at that very closely and can see that animals do come according to their kinds and plants as well. So, again, it's, uh, it's very accurate. I give uh, six examples here of some other scientific statements. There are more than 100 scientific statements uh, in the Bible that are clearly scientific, meant to convey something to us. Are they correct? Yes. Although the day that they were written, how would the author know that they were correct? They wouldn't. For example, if you look at the number of stars in the sky, uh, before the time of the telescope, how many stars could people count? Well, somewhere around a thousand, you know, plus or minus a few hundred, depending how sharp your eyes were, I suppose, or how clear the night was, but uh, about a thousand before the telescope. Okay, now, but then we read in Jeremiah, um, in Jeremiah 33, verse 22. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, can't be numbered. Well, we just number them, a thousand plus or minus. And the sands of the sea cannot be measured. So I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant, and the Levitical priest who minister to me. Well, today we can do a better job of numbering, you know, the number of stars out there and uh, the number of galaxies out there. And we come to, you know, about a hundred billion different galaxies and each galaxy has about 100 billion stars, you know, plus or minus. Ours has a, uh, the Milky Way galaxy has a few more than that. But uh, in total, if you multiply those two numbers together, you get numbers like 10 to the power of 22. And guess what? The number of sands on the seashore is of that order of magnitude as well. So again, how did the book, how did Jeremiah get that correct in uh, Jeremiah uh, 33? So... We trust the Bible for spiritual truth. You know, we've always done that. But do we trust it in science as well? Well, if the Bible references different uh, scientific disciplines, do we trust what the Bible says in each of those disciplines? And we have, uh, well, in total, probably more than 100 examples of that. And I'm just going to look at a few. The uh, references in like astronomy, geophysics, geology, oceanography, biology, physics, etc. You know, eight different disciplines. Isaiah 40, verse 22 says, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Earth is a sphere. It's a circle. Who, who said the earth was flat? The Bible didn't. And in fact, skeptics would say, Well, you, you believers, you, you think the earth was flat way back then. No, we didn't. Certainly, um, Christopher didn't go around the world thinking the world was flat. He knew, you know, from these verses that the earth was round. You can see the ships coming over the horizon. You know, how can they come over the horizon if the the, uh, surface is flat? They can't. And then if we look at these disciplines, you know, who founded these disciplines, these scientific disciplines? If you look back, it's almost in all cases, it, it is Bible-believing scientists. And the best example of that is uh, Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton, 1600, he was regarded as the premier scientist of his age. 
and still is regarded with great respect. What people don't know about him, even though he found you know, the um, discovered the law of gravity and the planetary motion equations and things like that, he wrote more commentary on the books of the Bible than he did on science. Much, much more. Do you see that reported in the uh, your children's textbooks? I don't think so. But he, he was a scholar. He was a, a biblical scholar. And he knew uh, what was there. He learned what was there. Kepler, the astronomer, founded the science of astronomy. He said, I'm studying what God created. Okay, he knew God created. And there are scientists today who will not acknowledge that God is the creator of this universe and uh, where we live. And uh, people are surprised sometimes when they come across a creation scientists like myself. When I speak in Europe, you know, largely in the Eastern European countries, they grew up under evolution, or, or sorry, under atheism and uh, Marxism, and they were taught that evolution is a fact. So when I come to speak there, try to disabuse them of that false science, they are surprised to see people like me, but um, I gladly do it. So th that's one example of uh, there. Another one, I'll go to the last one there, is in uh, Leviticus 17, verse 11, where it reads, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Now, if you remember American history, you'll remember that when George Washington had a disease, what did they try to do? They tried to drain the blood out of his veins to remove the disease. And eventually that killed him. You know, if they had read Leviticus 17:11, they would have known that the life is in the blood and they can't do that. And there are many medical discoveries which were made much later on, which people didn't realize uh, at the time. And uh, they didn't realize some of these truths until the 18-1900s. I bring up the um, example of circumcision, which Moses wrote about. He said, the male uh, child should be circumcised on day 8. Well, why didn't he say day 6 or day 10? Well, it turns out that the blood clotting element is the strongest on day 8. And the immune system of the baby is the strongest on day 8. How did Moses know that? Clearly inspired. He got it right. These scientific statements are correct. So, and I mean, I can speak on evolution, of course, and how that is not supported by science, but we won't uh, do that today. And then the last one I want to cover is uh, fulfilled prophecy. And this is where the Bible is really strong. You know, it's very strong in the other six areas I mentioned as well. Uh, it turns out that 27% of the Bible was prophetic when written. At the time it was written, it was regarded as prophetic. Now we can see which ones have been fulfilled and which ones have not. Prophecy is pre-written history known only to God. As I mentioned before, there are more than a thousand prophecies in the Bible, not just Messianic, but also you know, uh, prophecies about uh, uh, kings and, and nations and, and rulers, etc. More than half of them have already been fulfilled, so we can have confidence that the rest will be fulfilled as well. Uh, I mentioned the, you know, most people know about the Messianic prophecies, and of course they are, are quite verifiable, and particularly with the Dead Sea Scroll finding, you know, there's no, prob there's no problem in verifying the truth of those uh, 
prophecies. So the Bible also makes these predictions about kings, nations, and cities. Um, and I won't go into the details here, but uh, you know. But again, as I did this morning in the formation of life from non-life, you know, what's the mathematical probability of that happening by chance? What's the mathematical probability of these events, these prophecies, all being fulfilled? You know, the, the prophecy is so small that it must be considered impossible, not just improbable, but impossible. It just can't happen. And I always like to point people to Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, where uh, the prophet Isaiah speaks about the Messiah who is to come to bring the good news in his first coming and the day of vengeance in his second coming. Two different parts of that prophecy. In Luke 4, chapter Luke 4, verses uh, 16 to 22 or so, we see that Jesus is reading from uh, quoting that text, and he read the first eleven and a half verses of that uh, those uh, of that text, and stops in the middle because the middle of the second verse refers to the day of vengeance, and of course in his first coming that hasn't happened yet, and he stopped there. How did he know that? Well, obviously he's God, but but again, well, why did it appear that way? That, I mean, that wasn't all after the fact. The Dead Sea Scrolls proved the accuracy of the books of the Bible. And this prophecy uh, has been fulfilled exactly as, as uh, prophesied in Isaiah. And we're still waiting for the film, fulfillment of the second part in the second coming. So, you know, we have lots of reasons to believe that uh, the Bible is what it claims to be, and we can provide a lot of evidence for its truth. And I want to just end by giving some examples um, from other so-called holy books. You know, because the test of a true prophet is if he's telling truth, believe him. If he's not telling the truth, just dismiss it. Nostradamus, for example, a 16th century uh, so-called prophet, People believe that he made a lot of good prophecies and they came true. Well, if you look at them closely, many of them are really false prophecies. Many are so vague in general that almost anything could fulfill it. No one prophecy has been proven of his. And then if you look at the other so-called holy books, uh, there's not one prophecy in, for example, the Buddha's book, Confucius, the Hindu Veda, the, the Gita, the, another Indian book, the Book of Mormon even itself does not contain any pro- prophecies that have been fulfilled. And the Quran, uh, the Book of uh, Islam. However, in the, in the Mormon books, there's the Mormon Journal of Discourse, which says um, that there are inhabitants on the moon and on the sun. That's in those books. Is that true? No. You know, we've been to the moon at least. I don't think anybody's going to the sun anytime soon. But there's nobody living on the moon. We know that. Is it, and that these inhabitants would live for a thousand years. They're six feet tall. And they're dressed like Quakers. Well, none of that is true. They even prophesied in uh, uh, Brigham Young's day that Brigham Young, 
I don't think it was he himself, but somebody else prophesied that he would become the next president. Well, that happened. Nope, didn't happen. And, and yet there's, there's prophecies in the Bible which, like that which did happen. Jehovah Witnesses, for, for example, consider that a, a cult. They predicted that the founder, Russell, predicted that Christ would return in 1914. Well, that didn't happen. So he tried 1916, 1918, didn't happen. The second president, Rutherford, said that he will return in 1925, 1946. And there's many other false prophecies. So again, the truth is not in Jehovah Witnesses. Bible prophecies, we saw that 25% of the Bible was prophecy when it was written. It talks about the city of Tyre. For example, five, seven things that will happen at the city of Tyre in the book of, uh, of uh, Ezekiel. And all seven have come to be, all seven of them. The Jewish dispersion. You know, that was prophesied that the Jews would be dispersed over the earth. And, but there's also prophesied that they would be regathered. Well, again, that happened in 1948. So we have answers for the skeptics. Faith, our faith is not blind, as Dawkins would have us believe. It is based on evidence, quite concrete evidence. And if you look at the other so-called holy books, they just don't have that there. The Bible is, is not a myth, no fallacies. Even the scientific statements are true. Isaiah's prophecies were true and fulfilled. Moses could write, despite what the skeptics said, and uh, and so on. All these things that the skeptics say, Yo, well, that can't be true. You're, you're believing something that uh, you're taking on faith. But if, if you ask a skeptic, what do you, you know, what do you base your belief on? You know, if you don't believe what what I believe is true, what do you base your belief on? Well, they can't answer it. It's, in many cases, it's what they would like to be true. You know, it just doesn't exist. So skeptics don't have an answer. And uh, they often refer to answers by other people, saying, well, the Bible told me that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 tell different stories about creation. Well, have you looked at it yourself? No. You're taking somebody else's word. So the Bible claims to be the word of God, and as I said before, the Bible is a special revelation. Creation is the work of God. And if God is who he says he is, the two must agree. And I, I spend a lot of time personally as, as a scientist, you know, just to study that, those issues. And I, I believe that they do agree. There's some things we don't understand, some things we'll never understand. But I'm not afraid of what science is going to find out. I mean, finding out what's the, what DNA is all about, finding out what the information that's stored there, that knows how to duplicate, you know, what we have in our bodies, in our genome. That's can be done. And they're finding out things that confirm creation, not evolution. So that's my uh, story on that, on the truth of the Bible. I think we, we can have confidence in that. So what do we do with that? If we take the Bible as truth, the uh, Paul himself writes in Acts 17, you know, he, he commends the Bereans for verifying what he's saying. And I would do the same. I mean, don't take my word for it, my, my studies, my analysis. You know, study it for yourself. Verify that what I'm saying is also true. When I do a course on apologetics, I, I call it, does what you believe to be true match reality? That's what it comes down to. So when I face skeptics and they challenge me, 
I said, I can provide you evidence for the truth of what I believe. What you believe, I don't think you have any real evidence. And in no case have they really provided me with evidence. That's really the, the, the difference we're dealing with. So if we believe that the Bible is the truth, we should study it, we should verify it, <coughs> and we should live as if you do obey the, his word because we are ambassadors for Christ in all that we do. You may have, if you're a skeptic, you may have questions about the truth of the Bible. There are plenty of sources for more information you know, on the truth of the Bible. Many different organizations which provide that information. And, uh, you know, at the book tables, we have some of that information. So I hope your faith has been strengthened by listening to this, and I hope you would uh, uh, study it yourselves as well just to verify that. And for skeptics, I uh, challenge them to, to uh, really look at it yourselves, now, you know, not take your friend's word for it, but look at it yourself. Is that really what it says? You know, verify that. So let me just close in a word of prayer then. Father, we come to you to thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for your creation. Thank you for the evidence you have left for that, that uh, what you um, have written can be verified largely in your creation. And uh, we just pray that you would use what uh, we've learned here and share it with our family and friends and that they would be touched. We can't argue people in the kingdom, but we can certainly leave the evidence for them to consider. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.